Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So I thought we'd get started off with a little bit of uh, jazz, uh, and hopefully that'll make what I'm about to talk about tonight a little bit easier to digest. Um as I said, uh, there are certain topics that they're ongoing. Um, they're ongoing issues, so my coverage of them will be ongoing as well. So I am going to be talking about anti-Semitism, and I'm also going to talk about what we should be looking for in a, an elected official, in my humble opinion. And of course, as always, people are free to disagree. And uh, I actually welcome that. I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about someone who's going to be insulting and, <laughs> you know, make ad hominem attacks. But but certainly, if someone has a different perspective, um, I'm, I'm more than willing to, to entertain that. Um, but as always, uh, we need to go to a quick disclaimer, uh, and then we're going to come back, and we will jump right on in to tonight's show. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. So there is a lot to talk about, and, you know, unfortunately, it's just not very pleasant. What I've been saying about anti-Semitism is that it's not something that a lot of people tend to take seriously, because I think, you know, as I've said, that a lot of people associate targets of bigotry, uh, objects of bigotry, they associate with people of color. And there's this idea about, you know, how these people of color live and what opportunities are available to them. And, you know, I'll certainly admit that there are disparities in, you know, different areas, different sectors, different industries. And there is a correlation with color. And that's obviously uh, incredibly unfortunate. And it's something that has to be addressed. But there has been a steady push I was out of the country for for quite some time, and when I came back, uh, for those of you who've been listening to me for a while, you know that I've been out of the country for, or I I had been, rather, for almost a decade. When I came back, it was just, it was really odd. There were a number of people, and just listening to them, it was, it was like they were stuck in a time warp. It was like 
they had slipped into a time machine and gone back to the 60s. You know, and they were they were looking they were looking for equal rights. They were looking for civil rights. We shall overcome. And I just I didn't really know what to do with that because that there's still racism toward people of color, black people, you know, maybe in particular or just any particular group of color. That's that's undeniable, uh, you know, and, and I don't mean to make light of it or to kind of water it down by saying that speaking generally, people, it's human nature. People, unfortunately, sadly, tragically, they they like to latch on to what makes us different. And how we look is, is, is something that jumps out readily for people, right? Uh, someone could be younger, someone could be older, someone could have darker skin or fairer skin. And so when people want to point out the differences, when they want to zero in on the differences, then, you know, they're going, they're going to go for appearance. So that there is bigotry toward people, different groups of color, that's undeniable. But it would also be horribly remiss on my part and incredibly intellectually dishonest if I were to deny the progress that has been made. And I think that, and, and you know, and I've, I've said this for a great many years now, I think that these people who want this second civil rights movement, I think that they've done a lot to drag us backwards because in so many circles now, People feel like they can't speak freely. People feel like everything they say and do, they've got to do it a certain way. Or if they don't, they feel like they're somehow messing up, you know, or or maybe being offensive or they're at the risk of being uh, offending someone or, or, heaven forbid, they're canceled. And it's all quite sad. It, it, it's it's so funny. I'll, I'll relate a quick story within uh, this larger uh, narrative here that I want to relate, that I'm trying to relate, that I have been relating. I met a girl, and she was probably, I perhaps I was older than her, but I don't think she was in her 20s or 30s. Anyway, she was, I thought, very nice, but she was starting to get on my nerves. And I was looking for a way to kind of communicate my, not, I don't want to say displeasure, but my annoyance. (laughs) But I wanted to do it diplomatically. I mean, fortunately, after a certain point, you know, we had to go because our conversation really kind of took off toward the, uh, toward the very end of the evening. Because I think that if that had not been the case, I I probably would have had to excuse myself. Again, she wasn't a bad person. She At least she didn't come across as such. But, I mean, she's there talking to me about, oh, well, the racism against people of color. And it's like, 
well, hello, I'm a person of color. I, I think I'm familiar with this. <laughs> I don't think, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, you know, she and she happened to be white. So I, I was, you know, kind of thinking, you know, what is, what is it exactly that you're trying to teach me? And I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I'm always saying that there's something that we can learn from everybody, right? And I'm often uh, recommending a TED Talk uh, from Celeste Headley, and she's awesome. She is a journalist. She's a speaker, and um, she does a podcast, I believe. And she's just she's just incredible. And she gave this great, great TED Talk about how to have a, a, a great conversation, <laughs> a great TED Talk on how to give a great conversation. And it basically consisted of, Listening. Isn't that something? Because often when people talk, they just talk and talk and talk. (laughs) They don't listen. When you listen, you find out a lot. You learn a lot. And I think it does make you a better conversationalist. I think it makes you a better partner, work partner, and just partner, just any kind of partner. And I think it better equips you to navigate different environments, whatever they may be. So, you know, I I said to myself, okay, well, I'm sure that there's something that this woman can teach me. Of course, there's something that she can teach me. But it was just odd for me that she was very insistent on talking about racism against black people. And it's just like, well, I don't, I mean, she she obviously, you know, looked at me and said, okay, you're black. Um, but it was, she just kept on going on and on. And, and she shared that in previous generations, you know, there were members of her family who owned slaves. And I'm like, well, that's not you. And she's like, yeah, you know, no, it's not me. And, I, you know, that's not something I did. And But she kept on talking about racism and how listening to, you know, black people, it's it's really enlightened her. And, and I just, I appreciate that she took the time to listen. But some of what she was saying is just after a while, it just came across as, <laughs> kind of like low-key self-flagellation. <laughs> and and I remember thinking to myself, my goodness gracious, I, I, I almost felt bad for it because I feel like, you know, all these different people, all these different groups who want to have their second, you know, second civil rights movement, and they don't really care about anybody else but themselves. This is like, It's completely ego-driven. Their activity for equal rights, I'm sorry, equity, it's it's all just, it's all ego-driven. It's it's really pretty nauseating, actually. Um, I I just, I felt bad for the woman with whom I was speaking because I felt like this poor woman probably had been put through the ringer at one point. And look, it, it, it is important for white people to listen to black people because there are things that happen all the time that often happen to people of color that white people 
very well could be or are oblivious to. But guess what? The reverse is true. There's a lot that happens with white people. And just because you're white doesn't mean you can't be the object of racism. doesn't mean that you can't be the object of bigotry. It doesn't mean that you don't have any problems. And so my point consistently has been is that we don't want to look at someone and proceed to make assumptions about what his or her life is like. We can't do that. We just simply can't. And so this all takes me back to the point that I made on a few shows back. And it's this. Anti-Semitism has not always been taken as seriously, given as much concern, attention, as other types of bigotry, because the idea is that all Jews are white. All Jews are successful. All Jews are rich. And let me just say that not all Jews are white. I mean, hello. (laughs) Anyone who has seen what I look like, I am obviously not white. (laughs) So not all Jews are white. Um, You know, since the beginning of, you know, our, our existence, the Jewish people's existence, there have always been Jews of color. I mean, it's, this isn't new. I'm not an oddity. I'm not something different, you know, there have always been Jews of of color, right? You know, as for being successful and, and being affluent, well, there are a number of Jews who do have uh, high-profile positions, There are a number of Jews who, by the criteria of most, of many societies, they are successful. And most people, I don't care who you are or where you come from, they consider success, they they link it with money. But of course, not all Jews are successful by society's metrics. Uh, That is to say, you know, not all Jews have the big home with the white picket fence, big car, several big cars. Uh, Not all Jews are affluent. But let me tell you something. Even if all Jews were white, even if all Jews were wealthy, uh, you know, successful and wealthy, would hatred toward them be acceptable? Of course not. Of course not. And that's what we're getting at because bigotry is wrong. I don't care who it's directed at. Hatred is wrong. And it's important to stand up to the purveyors of hatred, the purveyors of bigotry, the purveyors of verbal and physical violence against someone based on his or her ethnicity, faith, race, gender, sexual orientation, national origin. It's all wrong. But, you know, we have allowed ourselves to believe that 
it only counts, it's only a big deal if it is directed at someone of color, right? Because we have just, uh, well, we, I shouldn't say we, uh, in society, in many societies, Western societies, we have determined that white people are the oppressors and people of color are the oppressed. And we have determined that those groups are immutable. You're born white, you're an oppressor. You may not think you are, but you somehow are. And if you're a person of color, you're a victim. Now, you could be very wealthy, but you're still a victim. So, uh, of course, I, I, I reject that. I reject these new social constructs, or maybe they're not so new, right? Um, but I, I, I reject these social constructs. And again, I think that anyone can be an oppressor and anyone can be oppressed, are some people, some groups more oppressed than others? Or have they been? Of course. But can we make a generalization? Can we say that this group is categorically always oppressed and this group is categorically always oppressing others? Of course not. And it, it just really, it's, it's a stunningly, embarrassingly, uh, small way to think. And it's caused a lot of harm. And, you know, you listen to a lot of people, and I, I, I feel like a lot of people, I, I hesitate to use the word radicalized because, you know, we'll, we'll talk about people who are, who are radical in, in a bit, but I think that it has really... this push for like this second civil rights movement without really caring about actual equality. I think it's really, it's forced a lot of people, not forced, but well, yeah, maybe forced. It's made a lot of people dig their heels in and really kind of say, this is who I am and this is my position and this is the hell I'm going to die on. And it's just, it's really unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. And I think, that, you know, relationships have deteriorated and, you know, people have, you know, have started to, they've gone in one, one or two directions. I've either gone in, in the direction that I just detailed or they just, they feel bad about themselves. And, and either way, I, I just, I don't see how that can really benefit any of us, Right. So to that point that anti-Semitism isn't, isn't seen to be as serious of an issue as, say, racism against blacks or bigotry against gay people or, you know, maybe Asians. And, and it depends, you know, because Asians, you know, some of the stereotypes that exist about Jews, they exist about Asians, too. So... It depends on the context whether people decide that, you know, this this bigotry against an Asian person or, or an Asian family or an Asian group uh, is serious or not, which is, again, really, 
It's really pretty loathsome. Again, it's where I come from, you know, intellectually speaking and spiritually think, uh, speaking, hatred is wrong. And I'm not going to minimize an incident. I'm not going to whitewash an incident if it's fueled by hatred, if, it's, if the catalyst is animosity. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to diminish that. And I just I don't know, I just my whole life, I. I don't know, I just looked at people as people, and I know that sounds rather simplistic, but I think when you are talking about something like just fellow man, I, I don't know why it's not. It should be pretty basic. It should be something that we don't have these vigorous debates about. I mean, there's so many things that we need to debate vigorously. There are so many things that need to be said from the from just every possible, any and every rooftop. But, you know, just ignoring, not being able to acknowledge the humanity of us all. It's just, I, I've never been able to understand that. I don't, I don't understand these differences that are made. I don't. And I, and I can't, I can't accept them. And, and I, I can't even, I just refuse to even entertain. I mean, we're we're talking about humanity, right? Being humane, being human, <sighs> and yet, you know, here we are. And I say all this, and I have. To, I feel like I have to say all this because, you know, when there are incidents of anti-Semitism, right now, it's 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 bad. It's bad. Um, I try to make clear to people that fundamentally this is just against one group of humans, right? Because it's not like I'm different as a Jew from someone who's not a Jew, right? I mean, I want to have a home. I mean, most well, most people want a roof over their heads, um, you know, we all want to be fulfilled. We want to be productive, uh, you know, most of us. Um, you know, we want to be happy. We want, I mean, these, these are human, human, human needs. The, these are human aspirations. These are human wishes, desires, and they transcend color, country border, faith, any possible difference that you can think of, any possible barrier, it just it just transcends it with without issue. And so that's what I want to make clear to people. This is Jews are being singled out, but most fundamentally at the base it's you're talking about one group of humans being singled out. 
And my point is that if you have any one group that's being singled out, everyone's in trouble. If we have a society, I don't care what geographical space we're talking about. It could be a municipality. It could be a state. It could be a country. It could be a region, a continent. I mean, I don't know. Any geographical space where you have one group that's being singled out. You know what that means? I'm going to say it again. We're all in trouble. I, uh, I like to say that, you know, if people think that this is going to end with the Jews, you know, it's just about the Jews. No, it's not. I kind of joke. I'm like, well, you know, we're kind of like the first line of defense. But when you when you think about it, tell me an instance where Jews have been singled out or any group has been singled out. And we're talking about a society that's healthy. We're talking about a society that is sustainable. We're talking about a society that... Uh, is yeah, it's healthy. I mean, we we just, we 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 can't because again, if you have a healthy, sustainable um, you know, any 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 place where you have one group that's uncomfortable, that fears for its safety, that is struggling. That's an issue for everybody. It's so funny because I, I don't, and I'll say this before I get into the, the first bit I want to really kind of dive into. I won't say exactly who, but I was talking to a family member. And, you know, I've, I've spoken with different family, you know, several family members since the war between Israel and Hamas has broken out since October 7th, the unprovoked war. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, you know, you know, Israel, well, Israel, it started in 1940. No, no. <laughs> Hamas, it's in their charter. The goal is to wipe out, wipe out Israel and wipe out Jews everywhere. It's, I'm not going to entertain nonsense. I'm not going to get into a debate and, you know, proceed to exchange perspectives with bad faith actors, people who are moving, operating in bad faith. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Uh... I'm going to take Hamas, leaders of Hamas, at their word when they say that they want to wipe Israel off the map. I'm going to take Hamas, leaders at their word when they say that they want to wipe out Jews around the world. It's, it's serious right now. It's scary. It's alarming. And some of the family members with whom I've spoken— Oh, they trust me. They they very much believe that, and I have family that's outside the country, 
And one conversation I had was, um, it was very enlightening actually, because I, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm very worried about you. You know, I, I hope you're all right. And even amid the outbreak of war, because this family is actually in Israel, um, this family member said to me, I'm fine. I'm more worried about Jews in America. And that just really, it, it, it was just like, woof. You know, it was like one of those moments. It was an, you know, I had an epiphany. And it really made me think. It really made me think. And I had always thought like, you know, some at some, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind that I just felt like, I felt like a lot of my fellow Jews were too comfortable and I feel like we should be able to be comfortable. All of us should be able to feel comfortable, right? You know, we're humans and we, we should be able to, to dream and hope and, and aspire to whatever we want, right? We, we should all feel comfortable and, and safe and in security. But at the same time, there's a part of me, interestingly, it was almost like, I don't want to say, go as far as to say resentment, but I just felt like, you know, we're in a good position. You know, our parents or maybe our grandparents or great-grandparents didn't have it so easy. We should be cognizant of that. And when we see our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world or even here um, suffering or people who, who are not Jewish, when we see them struggling or suffering um, or feeling shaken, we, we, we should... We should be aware of that. We should be there for them. And so I, I remembered thinking that for so many years, and and I put that together. I juxtaposed that in my head, right, that these ideas that I had with what this family member said to me. And, yeah, I, I had an epiphany. I mean, there there are certain developments that have transpired in America, and we just we we have a bit of a reckoning, <laughs> I think, ahead of us. We need to acknowledge um, some of the roads that we've gone down, or the road that we've gone down, and uh, some of the pit stops haven't been to the benefit of this great nation. And I do think America is a great nation, but we're not acting like it right now. We're not allowing that greatness to shine through. Um, I know that there are people in other parts of the world wondering exactly what's going on in the United States because you have on these campuses, college campuses, um, horrible incidents. Support the Palestinians. I support the Palestinians. I have always been for a two- state solution. Always. You think I want to see any Palestinians suffer? Of course I don't. I mean, any decent person, if you have even a modicum of decency, 
You don't want to see anyone suffering. You don't. But these people who claim that they're supporting Palestinians, no, they're not. They're taking up the cause of the Palestinians that are actually oppressed by Hamas and to a different and lesser extent by Fatah, but they're being oppressed by Hamas. They're taking up the cause of the Palestinians to mask their hatred of my people. That's what it is. And, and you know, there's some people who are actually monetizing anti-Semitism. You see, the most outrageous things, and the more outrageous you get, and the more vulgar you get, and the further you try to race toward the bottom, and, and I'm just wondering where that bottom is because, I mean, the things that I've been hearing and seeing over the past few years, it's just like, my gosh, just when you think it can't get any worse or a person can't sink any lower, shazam. <laughs> so it's just, it's like, it's it's unreal. But yeah, I mean, the more outrageous, the better. The louder, the better. The more obnoxious, the better. And people are now trying to turn that into uh, an income. Oh, sure. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a quick break. I'm going to go to a quick break, but when I come back, I'm going to talk about the problems on American college campuses. And it's, it's gotten so bad that, you know, some members of Congress have said, okay, it's time to talk to some of these college presidents, um, uh, some of these presidents uh, of, of the, the colleges. And really, it was, it was very much a shameful moment um, from some of the top universities, one of which is, is, is arguably if not the best university in the world, certainly one of them. And I just, I don't think that there's anything that can be done to restore the reputations of these presidents who recently testified before Congress. But I'm going to go to a quick break, and then when I come back, we're going to talk about that. If you are struggling to afford internet service for your household, there is a new government program that may be able to help. It's called the Affordable Connectivity Program, and it provides up to a $30 monthly discount to qualifying households. Find more information about the program, including if you qualify and how to enroll at FCC.gov ACP or call toll-free at 877-384-2575. That's 877-384-2575. You got me! The galaxy is safe once again. Sometimes kids play with pretend guns. It's up to us to make sure they don't play with real ones. Keep yours stored locked and unloaded. Learn more at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon... There's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. 
A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. If you're just joining me, thank you so much. Uh, But if you've been listening to me from the beginning, thank you kindly. I really am grateful from the bottom of my heart. You're listening to me, Rachel Meisman, on Bostonian Rap, on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So I want to talk about uh, Congresswoman uh, Elise uh, Stefanik because she was just, she's been incredible. Uh, So she questioned uh, several college presidents, uh, including um, Harvard College, uh, Claudine Gay. Dr. Gay uh, was just, you know, she was just... Um, you know, and I don't want to say installed. <laughs> uh, she was just, um, you know, the the inauguration uh, just uh, took place. I was actually there, um, and you know, I listened to her, and I, I thought to myself, I said, "Okay, is this going to be like a bunch of woke salad? Are we going to be treated to a speech?" you know, a a several, like a several course woke speech. (laughs) I, you know, I just didn't really have the appetite for it. But, you know, there was, you know, there were kind of some brushes of that, right? There was like a bit of a veneer. But I think that she spoke very substantively and she spoke incredibly eloquently and, it, you know, I walked away, um, you know, I was, I was very impressed with her speech. And I was hopeful, um, because you always want to be hopeful, right? Um, but I, you know, I, I knew she wasn't a, a conservative or even a moderate, but I said, well, let, let's see what she can do. Well, I mean, under her, it's just what she is allowed to trans, you know, to take place. What she's allowed to transpire, it's it's shameful. It's it's absolutely shameful. And I, I echo Congresswoman Stefanik's calls for Dr. Gay to resign because you have to be able to guarantee the safety and the security of of the students of 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 staff no one should uh, should fear for his or her safety and so you know there uh was the questioning uh of the, of, of several presidents uh the president of UPenn University of Pennsylvania um the president of MIT and the president of Harvard College and I'm, you know, quoting from Elise Stefanik, Congresswoman Stefanik. I, I actually, I, I didn't see the entirety of of the um, the questioning, um, but I've seen a number of ex- excerpts, and I've read, you know, I've read, uh, you know, obviously more than just direct quotations. I've you know, try to read, you know, transcripts and, you know, just to really 
you don't want to take anything out of context, but I'm, but I'm going to tell you that some of what, what was said and some of the interactions, there's just no, there's no context in which these answers that were provided by Dr. Gay and her fellow um, college presidents, uh, uh, it would be acceptable. So here, uh, Rep. Stefanik says, Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, was once again unable to answer my basic questions about how Harvard is holding students who espouse anti-Semitic views accountable, while also highlighting Harvard's disgusting double standard when it comes to our Jewish community. And, and, it, and it really is a double standard, and, and I think a lot of it is attributable to what I said earlier in today's show and what I've said before. People don't look at Jews as being downtrodden and oppressed, and that is linked to color. And people insist on thinking that Jews are white and that they're all successful and that they're, that they're all rich. And what I'm arguing is whether that's—even if it were true— it still wouldn't be any more acceptable to make this community or any community feel unsafe. And she also said um, Harvard has allowed. So I'm reading from uh, you know some some posts that she she put up on X, uh, formerly known as Twitter, right? <laughs> Harvard has allowed the rot of anti-Semitism to go unchecked, and Jewish students feel unsafe. This is unacceptable, and I absolutely agree. And it's just it's really it's. You know, Claudine Gay, and and I am focusing on Harvard just because I did my undergraduate work there. But it it wasn't like the presidents of MIT or UPenn were any better because they just really weren't. Um, But Claudine Gay uh, apparently went to answer questions about um, Harvard receiving $1.5 billion money from— you know, foreign foreign entities, foreign governments for its Middle East Studies department, and it's just, and and it's just, I don't know, I don't know what to say. Uh, she also refused to say whether the calling for the mass violence and genocide of the Jewish people is considered harassment or bullying, according to Harvard's own code of conduct. So, Claudine Gay used the word you know, reckless. And she used a couple of other adjectives um, to describe this this call um, for, for, you know, for mass violence against Jews. And she said that, you know, this was personally abhorrent to her. And, and, and you know, so I'm thinking to myself, well, if that's the case, President Gay, then why aren't you doing not more, but something to make sure the Jewish community at Harvard and its allies feel safe. Absolutely disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. And it's just, I don't, I don't see how she can recover from this. I really don't. Um, You know, again, people are focusing on, on Harvard, but I think that 
you know, the the these other these other presidents, they're they're just they're just as at fault. They, you know, it's I don't I don't again, I don't know really what to say. Um it's just and it's not just these three universities. It's it's just it's scary. It's alarming. And there was a time when I thought that American universities were superior in a number of ways to many Europe, European universities because you generalized, very much generalized later. So, you know, at different universities in, in different parts of Europe, you can start studying, you can, you can do, you can study law and start studying medicine as an undergraduate. And I thought, I remember thinking when I found that out, or should I say, but I remember thinking, well, I guess that's fine if you really know what you want to do, but most people don't. So I, you know, I just, I thought that it was just nice to have a broad base and then then from that narrow in on what you want, you know, what you want to do. I mean, because I thought the idea of being well-rounded and 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 developing an intellectual curiosity was really the way to go. But you know, in, in light of you know everything that I'm seeing, I just it's I I, I would say that America has <laughs> I, I it's it's embarrassing. It's it's embarrassing, and we can no longer argue that our our education is superior to to anybody's. Um, we really can't. And uh, on a last quick note, um, what I will what I wanted to say is um, I had talked a lot about uh, Calla Walsh, um, and she's she's quite something, and. Um, I talked about how she vandalized and and set off like a, a smoke device at a, a building, you know, a building of of a, of a company that you know creates um, machinery and weaponry for for Israel. And I didn't give the name of that company and its its Albert Systems, but I was focusing more on, of course, what this uh, and I and I do think she's a terrorist, um, and and I and I use my words carefully, but what she's doing is is what she has been doing, what she is doing. It's it's very <laughs> it's very disturbing. Um, I wanted to focus more on the act. I only have a little bit of time left. Um, and I can pick up with this on my next show. But I did want to say very quickly, um, I wanted to pivot. How do, you, how do you pivot from all that, right? Um, especially when it took up just about the whole show. Um, but I did want to just say a quick word about, about elected officials and what we should look for. And I'm going to be more insistent upon this as, as time goes on. And when you stand up to run for an office, you should be able to articulate very clearly 
what experience you have, what education you have, what training you have, what knowledge you have that would allow you to do to perform the responsibilities and duties of the office that you seek. Um, I think that also uh, you should understand the purviews of the office and you should understand really the geographical space that you're looking to represent. You should know the needs and concerns of the people. And this just really isn't the case. And a lot of people just are allowed to run. It's a personality thing. Uh, people, you know, stand up and try to, you know, run based on causes, uh, in the causes du jour. They try to ride that all the way into office. That's disgraceful, and we got to shut that down. So I'm going to start next week by talking about what we need to expect from elected officials. Thank you so much for listening, though, to tonight's show, and I very much look forward to hanging out with you all next week. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org.